But last week, I had asked you to remember or to imagine, I guess, uh, the image of a dusty old school bus, a church bus, full of the people of God, pulling into this devastated, barren wasteland that was their home. Remember, God had promised them all this newness, and they get there, and it was pretty slow in coming. And so Isaiah the prophet sought to remind his people, or he sought to remind God of God's promises. He sought to remind the people of their identity and their vocation. And so last week, if you remember, we too reminded God of his promises and we remembered our baptisms when God spoke the words over us saying, you are my beloved, my child, right? And we remembered our vocation of God people. Now, our text today is going to come from Nehemiah chapter 8, and I'm not going to begrudge you if you have to use your table of contents to find it, okay? It's a smaller book, and it's a little bit harder to find, so go ahead and get there, turn there if you'd like to, Nehemiah chapter 8. And it's several generations after those first exiles had hopped off the dusty church bus into the decimated homeland, okay? So several waves of exiles have come back into Israel. And the first group, they kind of helped rebuild the foundation of the temple. The next group came in and they rebuilt the temple itself, although it was not as cool as Solomon's temple. And then another group came in and they helped reconstruct the walls around Jerusalem. I mean, it was hard work and they had all these setbacks and they had cash flow problems and they had attacks from insiders, outsiders, the whole bit that hindered God's work as they were trying to rebuild and participate in God's act of newness in them, okay? But now in Nehemiah 8, life is finally beginning to regain a sense of normalcy, okay? So the temple's built, the walls are up, and so they have this sense of protection from military stuff, but also this sense of this unified identity as the people of God. So they're entering this new stage of normalcy. It's normalcy redefined, but normalcy nonetheless. Now, I think all of us probably know a little bit about something of normalcy redefined. Like, uh, remember, do you remember, think back, some of you was a very long time ago, some of us not so much, when you brought home your first kid, right? So everything is essentially the same in your house. This is my house, this is my stuff, this is my whatever, and yet there's this new little person who is wreaking havoc in your life. No, I'm just kidding. Who is blessing you overwhelmingly, and it's so wonderful, and you're celebrating this new life, but normal is now different. Now, everywhere you go, you have to carry like a suitcase of supplies, right? Because they have needs or whatever. So it's normal, but it's completely redefined. Or for example, some of you on the other end of the spectrum have just pushed your little baby birds out of the nest, right? And now you're like, this is normal. This is still my house, and yet where are my baby birds? right? And you're having to redefine what life looks like in this new sense, this new normal. And so too, the people of God have come through it, right? Life is finally returning to normal, but it is a normal transformed. And there's this sense the people of God, as they're starting this new normal, they want to do it different this time. Like so many times they've been rebellious and they've said no to God and they've just rejected him. And this time they're like, you know what? This time we want to start with our feet pointed in the right direction and we want to begin this new normal in an attitude of obedience. And so here we are, Nehemiah chapter chapter 8, actually the verse right before in verse 73. It says they had gathered together on the seventh month of the year. Now for you or I, we read that we're like, cool, they were hanging out in July. Awesome, right? 
Um, that means nothing to us other than firecrackers and extreme heat and maybe some colorful jello salads, okay? Uh, but for them, the seventh month was not, obviously, the 4th of July. Uh, it was their new year, okay? It was when they celebrated the new year of, um, of their, their cycle, their cycle of life and celebration. So quick poll. Who in here loves a good New Year's Eve party? Like it's the highlight of your year. Raise your hand. You're like, yes. I see those two hands. Okay. All right. And who cannot stay awake past 10 p.m.? Uh, yeah, right? Um, I, for one, am not a wild New Year's Eve partier. Um, when we lived in Sicily, it was like a really important thing where you went for New Year's Eve. It was like a social status, like if you were going to the coolest party. And they kept saying, hey, I'm the fiesta, Veep. And then we Tommy and I were like, Veep? What are they talking about? What is Veep? And then I saw the poster, and it was uh, La Festa, la la la, a Capodanno, VIP. And so instead of saying VIP, like very important person, they just said it like a word. They were like, it's going to be so Veep. I'm like, cool, guys. So Veep. And that is just not my scene, right? I'm more like the, hey, let's eat chips and an assortment of fattening dips and play some games, right? And I literally don't care if I see the clock strike midnight. Now, this year, in fact, I found um, a New Year's Eve countdown on Netflix. And you better believe I played that bad boy at 8.30 p.m. for my kids. Ain't no shame in my New Year's game. Mm -mm. So the people of God, unfortunately, they did things a little differently. There were no veep parties. There were no raucous potato drops. There wasn't even a chips and dip smorgasbord or a competitive game of dominoes, okay? They would ring in the new year by celebrating Rosh Hashanah, which was actually several days of confession and repentance that um, accumulated into Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, okay? So trumpets are blown to symbolically and probably literally awaken people from their slumber and call them to repent of their sins, to pay attention. Now, I will say that doesn't sound quite as relaxing as my chip and dip buffet, but we get it. It's a celebration of the beginning of the year, and they want to start off the year with a, with a clean slate, having come before God and repented and saying, here I am, God, okay? So the people of God begin with this practice, to begin their new normal with their feet pointed in the right direction. So let's read together, uh, starting in verse 73, right before. And FYI, there's like 15 really hard names to say in this chapter, I'm going to do my best and you're going to clap for me at the end, okay? All right, just kidding, don't clap, but it is really hard to read. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all of Israel settled into their towns. When the seventh month came, the people of Israel began uh, being settled in their towns. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They, the people, told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. This was the first day of the seventh month. He read it from it, he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of all the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hokai, and Messiah on his right hand, and Pedadiah, and Mishael, and Malkijah, and Hashem, and Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. 
And Ezra, thank you, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people understand the law, while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people could understand the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. There you go. Now, I want to pause for one second. We're going to read it. I actually practiced that last night, not going to lie. I practiced that in my room so I wouldn't make a fool of myself today. But I want to pause and give you a very clear image of what is happening here. The people of God have asked all of the priests to read them the book of the law, like the whole thing out loud for hours and hours and days at a time. Now, don't lie. Don't lie. When I read a longer than usual psalm during worship while you're still standing, you might have thought to yourself, holy cow, how long is this woman going to read, right? <laughs> Don't lie, I read all of Psalm 19 today, I know. It is fascinating to me that the people asked the priests to read the book of the law to them. And not only that, but to explain it. So we're talking like double the length of time. Like here, I read it, now let's explain it. It's like this huge people-wide Bible study, okay? And it was the book of the law. Now, the law in the Old Testament, when we talk about it, oftentimes gets kind of a bad rap, doesn't it? It gets, it's often, especially from the New Testament, particularly with Paul, the law was kind of perceived to be this kind of negative thing sometimes. It's all about legalism and not being good enough to earn God's favor. But that's not how the Jewish people understood the law at all. Because to them, it was the most precious of gifts. It was God's self-revelation to them, God's very self-revealed, his will for creation, his intentions toward them, what he desires for them to do, how he wants them to obey. It was everything they needed to know. Now, this isn't shocking to us. This is very normal because you and I are conditioned to expect that from God, that God's going to reveal himself to us. He's going to make the way clear. He's going to show us how to obey. But the thing is, is that was not the norm. And now Israel's surrounding nations around them, they worshiped other pagan gods. And I'm going to read to you for a second one of the ancient prayers that they used to pray, not the Jews, the other, the pagans, would pray to their gods. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit scary. May the fury of the Lord's heart be quieted towards me. May the God who is not known be quieted toward me. May the goddess who is not known be quieted toward me. O God, whom I know or don't know, my transgressions are many and greater my sins. O goddess, who I know or don't know, my transgressions are many, greater my sins. The transgressions I've committed, indeed, I don't know. The seeds I have done, indeed, I, I don't know. Although I'm constantly looking for help, no one takes me by the hand. When I weep, they do not come to my side. I utter laments, but no one hears me. I am troubled and overwhelmed, and I cannot see. And no one wants to say amen to that. That is the antithesis of the Psalms right there. It says, oh God, who I don't really know, I'm pretty sure something is bad, but I don't really know. Totally without revelation or understanding. 
And I'm kind of horrified by this prayer, frankly. Can you imagine having virtually no knowledge of your God? You have no idea what they're like. You have no idea what they value, what they do. And you have this sense that maybe you like messed up because life is falling to bits and you don't really know what's going on, but you have no idea what your God wants from you. And so you just kind of hope for the best and you find yourself alone with this unknown God letting down wrath and all you can do is endure it. It's appalling. It's a cruel mystery. But God's people, in a world where their neighbors were praying terrifying prayers to the God they did not know, recognize the book of the law of God's revelation as this precious gift. And so they would say of the law, of the Torah, without the Torah, we would not know what it means to be holy and what God expects from us. For us, the Jews, the Torah is more than the stipulations of the covenant between ourselves and God. It is more than just 613 different ways to connect with our creator. The Torah speaks into the deepest places of our soul. And it tells us where we came from, who we truly are and where we're going. It defines our behavior and it shapes our interaction with the world around us. Isn't that breathtaking? The Torah speaks to the deepest place of our soul. And it tells us where we came from. It tells us who we are and where we're going, and it defines and it shapes our behavior. Now, that is how I imagine the crowd in Nehemiah receives this reading, this book of the law. They are wanting to know who God is, what God is like, and what God does. They want to understand their identity before him, and they want to know what God is asking of them so that they can obey. Okay, so having heard this beautiful revelation from God, how did they respond? Let's read verse nine. We're going to keep going. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, "This is the whole. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law." Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions of them to those whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites stilled all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They received the word of the Lord, and they immediately burst into tears. It's like a corporate cry fest at the New Year's party in Jerusalem. (laughs) What's going on? Now, question. Have you ever had the horrific experience of being wrong and and then being called out on your wrongness? Yeah, me neither. Never. I mean, I can't, I can't relate. So, just kidding. When I was 14 years old, I went to NYC 99. Now, this summer, our kids are going to go to NYC 2019. All right. That was 20 years ago. (gasps) Well, I went to NYC 99, and that was the very first time I really finally heard and responded to God's whispers inviting me to vocational ministry. And I come home, and I'm like every other 14-year-old ever to walk the face of the earth, meaning um, I kind of only thought about myself. right? What I wanted, what I was feeling, what I needed. And and in fact, 
uh, the fact that I just had this big spiritual experience with God actually kind of heightened my inward focus, you know, because my preoccupation with self, like God's calling me to this great thing and I'm, I'm thinking about myself. And so basically I was a super spiritual brat, to put it succinctly, okay? I'm sure I was a delight, right? Well, my mom and I, we were driving somewhere. I don't remember what we were doing. I said something snotty or made some outrageous demand. I don't remember. But all I remember is we were at a stoplight, and my mom turns and looks at me, and she goes, Stephanie, ever since you got back from NYC, you have been the most selfish, demanding, self-centered person, and I am so disappointed. Cue the tears. I didn't even get mad because I knew she was right. I was called out on the carpet, and there was no sense hiding, right? And looking back now at my poor 14-year-old self in the minivan, my heart back then, oh, it was so full of grief. It was so full of shame. And then my, now I look back, and my 34-year-old heart is full of gratitude that she would love me enough to call me to something better, to drag me out of myself and point me in the right direction. And that's kind of how I imagine the people of God felt hearing the law. Their beloved law read to them, but they felt a deep, deep grief. Gratitude, yes, for the revelation, but a deep grief. Grief over all the hurt and the heartache of those lost years for their rebellion and their sin and the separation. Grief at breaking the heart of God through their persistent rejection of his loving kindness. Grief over what could have been if only even when we clean out the old and we welcome in the new, it doesn't wipe our memories clean like some weird sci-fi movie. We still remember. We still regret. We still hurt and we feel shame, wishing things could have been different, that, that we would have chosen differently or that those around us who have hurt us, I wish they would have chosen differently. And so we grieve. And into this teary Milu steps Nehemiah. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Go your way. Eat fat, eat the fat, and drink the wine, and send portions to them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Simply put, stop crying and celebrate. Yes, you've done wrong. Yes. You've been hurt by the sins of others. Yes, you have walked a very long, hard road. But now, the time for regret and for shame, for guilt and the what-ifs, it has passed. And it is time to walk forward in newness of life and the joy of the Lord. It reminds me of Psalms 32. We've been talking about the Psalms on Wednesday night. And this is one of uh, my favorites when it comes to repentance. It says, Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no deceit and in whom there is no uh, deceit. While I kept my silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not hide my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my sins, my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's good news right there. You have been, we have been confronted by our sins and our hurts of the past. 
we have confessed and we have allowed the light of God into the dusty corners of our hearts. And we have received that light as painful as it has been. And now it is time to walk forward in newness of life. And so where do we find ourselves in this story of Nehemiah? And the public reading of the law, I kid you not, I have read through so many sermons on this passage and so many pastors for their application say, see, look at that. The people of God read their Bibles and it worked out for them. So you need to go read your Bible. Let's pray. Right? And I'm like, what? First of all, they didn't have a Bible. They had a corporate scroll. They didn't get to pocket in their pocket and go back to their hut and read it in the, you know, the quiet space, have their little quiet time. They read together as a group. And they came to these, they were taught and they were educated as a corporate body. But that's not even my main beef with that particular explanation. Because this passage is not about us showing up and doing our duty and reading the Bible so God will make everything turn out okay. That is not the moral of this story. It is about God breaking into our space with his generous, overflowing, transformative revelation. For us, that revelation is not the Torah. The Torah is beautiful and it's good and it's holy. And we still read the old scripture, the Old Testament, the, the, the Hebrew scriptures. We still read those. But while the Torah revealed, it could not rectify. It called, but it couldn't empower. It named our sin, but it couldn't save us from it. So woe unto us. Where is our revelation? God breaking into our life, into our world, in a way that will speak to the deepest part of us, to tell us who we came from, who we are, and where we are going. Where is our revelation? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of God the Father, God's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Word. God's perfect, complete revelation is Jesus, the Christ. Everything we need to know about God, we witness in the person of Jesus. Everything we need to know about the way to live as God's people, we behold in Jesus. And everything we need to know about our identity as children of God, we experience in Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the bread of life, the living water. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the light of the world. He is the lamb of God. He is the true vine. 
He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Jesus is our highborn priest, firstborn of the dead. Jesus is the head of the church. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and yet he is the lamb that is eternally slaughtered. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is God's revelation to us. And just as reading the Torah demanded a response from the people of God, so too this gift of Jesus demands a response from us. If he's the good shepherd, then I need to show up like a sheep, ready to listen, follow, and obey. If he is the living water, then he is the one who must quench my thirst, nothing else and no other. If he is the bread of life, he is the only one who can fill what I need. If he is the light of the world, I have to open the curtains to the light, even the dusty corners. If he is the way, then I better get on the path. Not only the direction, but also his way of walking, method of humility and of service and of love and of compassion. If he is the true vine, then I better do my job of abiding, of trusting, of waiting, of persisting. Into our despair, into our grief, into our regret, into our fear and our hurt and our loneliness, God breaks in with the full revelation of Jesus. This Jesus, God with us, God come down both to live for us and to show us how to live. So how do we respond to this precious gift of revelation and of freedom and of newness? How did Israel respond? They burst into tears. But then they practiced gratitude and obedience and joyous praise and celebration. With feasting and with generosity, with open-hearted community, sharing with one another in thanksgiving, for what God has done, what God is doing, and what they knew that God was going to do. And I do realize, for some of us today, this will be a proleptic celebration. Now, proleptic, it's one of those fancy theological words that Tommy gets mad at me when I use, right? It simply means we act based on what will be, not necessarily on what currently is. You see, we talk about the kingdom of God a lot, how it's here and yet it's not here in its fullness. And so even though we see it at a distance, we live towards it proleptically, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that it's on its way. It is a radical act of trust. And so for some of us, this call to celebration can only be formed proleptically because the hurt has not yet passed. The grief and the despair and the pain is still your current experience. But lift up your eyes, beloved. Newness and wholeness and healing is on the way. It is peeking over the horizon. And so today we celebrate with tears streaming down our faces, we celebrate. We look forward to the day when he will truly make all things new. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples and God will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And he looked up and he said, seated on the throne and said, See, I'm making all things new. Today, we're going to close with a spunkier song than usual. A corporate celebration of gratitude for God's revelation. Trust that his way is the best way. And with hearts full of hope, we celebrate for the newness that is on the horizon. The words of the song that we are going to sing, it says, we are choosing celebration. We are breaking into freedom because you are the song of our hearts. We cast aside our shadows. We trust you with our sorrows because you are the song of our hearts. So we will celebrate with joy, even proleptically, as we await him who shall make all things new. Kids, I'm going to invite you to come. Everyone, if you would stand, kids, come up. You're going to get a balloon, and you're going to help us celebrate this morning and do it right. Kiddos, if you want to stay on the stage and sing with us, you can. If you want to go back to your parents, that's fine, too. Beloved Christ Church, would you extend your hands to receive the benediction? Beloved, may you go forth from this place trusting in the hope of the Lord. And may he be your joy. In the face of challenges and hurt, regret and pain, may you continue to bring it before him, trusting, trusting, trusting that God brings forth newness from our ashes. And we look forward together to the day when truly all things will be made new. I go in action and go in peace. Amen and amen. You are dismissed.